You're listening to the Local Open Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Heath. And today we talk with Shimna Higgins. Shimna is a highly regarded Celtic fiddler. She's traveled and performed extensively throughout Australia and New Zealand with internationally acclaimed Celtic Illusion as their featured fiddler. Hear about her musical journey as a fiddler starting at a very young age. She's brought three songs to showcase her talent along with the backstory to each. You'll be a fan after the first eight bars. You can trust me on this. And we have with us today, Shimna Higgins. How are you doing, Shimna? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing really good. And thanks for joining me. This it. has been a long time coming, hasn't it? It absolutely has. Over a year now. <laughs> yeah, you, you, know, you first got on my radar when I was uh, following. I hadn't interviewed yet, but I was following uh, David Shannon. And we've done an interview with him and an update interview. It's been, you know, that long. And mm -hmm. I was just amazed at your playing the violin. It was just oh, stunning, you. in fact. And you have a lovely voice also with all of that. And, uh, you know, we tried to work it out for the interviews and one thing or another came up so that we couldn't. But we're here today, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, here we are. that's very good. So I'll tell you what. Um, one of the best ways to start out is why don't you tell us what's been going on for you in the last year and update your fans because you do have fans and you <laughs> will have more after this. Um, what's been going on and then maybe a little bit of projecting into the future what things you have planned, if any. Um, mm -hmm. So you have the floor. Awesome. Sounds great. Um, in the last year, I have done multiple tours with a Irish dance show um, in two different forms. So the, the full extent of the show is called Celtic Illusion and it's a Irish dance and magic show, um, which I thought was a funny combination when they first approached me in 2018, <laughs> yeah. but it works. It worked, yeah. Um, it's incredible. It's I've ex toured New Zealand and Australia now in very, very fine detail. Um, going to places I would never imagine choosing for myself. That um, wanted to hear yeah. the Celtic magic. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, it's the we've got Michael Flatley to thank because he just absolutely opened up this new world to Irish dance globally, everywhere in the world. And um, the the lead and director of Celtic Illusion has danced alongside Michael Flatley himself um, at varying points in his career. So. Um, yes, I toured with them last year around New Zealand in March, though that was a condensed version of the show that took out the illusions because of um, COVID. They couldn't really ship all of the, the props across from Australia to New Zealand. So right. we did just a dance and music version of the show, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then in this year, I have spent more time in Australia than in New Zealand, okay. which is where I am from. Um, traveling around, playing shows with Celtic Illusion, which has been just incredible, you know, meeting Irish dancers and, and um, beautifully talented performers from all over the world that have just come together for, for these tours. I wish I had uh, known. Completed. I've interviewed four people from Australia, all over, really? from uh, the Gold Coast down to Sydney, over to uh, 
the uh, the West Coast. Um, mm. um, what's the town there? It's uh, not Perth. It might be Perth. Anyway, mm. uh, all over. So you may have run into some of them. Uh, they might have even shown up. I could have said, hey, go meet Shimna. She's great. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I mean, the, the people that you meet, it's uh, just the connections that you build doing those kinds of tours are unreal. And the the level of exposure that you get to certain individuals, like you can form these really beautiful bonds really quickly, um, which is such a nice experience to have. And now I have friends all over the world, which feels unreal. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, exactly. The uh, Even doing the interviews that I've done, um, I have interviewed people all over the world. Mm. From um, Australia to um, South Africa to the UK, to uh, a gal from Northern Ireland, um, Rosie Ban, um, mm. and um, a number of them from the States and Canada. So, yeah, mm. I feel like I, I have friends all over if I need them. Mm, it's amazing. And honestly, thanks to the power of Zoom and, and all of the um, various online connections that have um, become a lot more prominent in the last couple of years. It's incredible how well connected you can you can actually stay with with people. Um, yeah, thank you, internet. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Whoever invented the internet, it was somewhere in the eighties, sometime, and then became a thing in the nineties. So, yep, it's been around a while. But, it has um, indeed. So okay, so you've done all that touring. What do you have? going forward uh right now you've you've made a big change from new zealand to i have indeed tell us about that yes. briefly so i it was about 10 days into lockdown last year in august in new zealand we went into another we <laughs> thought it would just be a short one it turned into our longest <laughs> lockdown during this pandemic and um about 10 days in um i was i think it was a shower thought actually where I realized that I'd been waiting um, for years. Uh, when I went to Ireland in 2018, it was meant to be like a scouting mission to kind of see where I enjoyed being, where I liked and what I wanted to do. Um, but I kept on delaying, 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 you know, thinking something will come up that'll bring me over there. Or, um, And I suppose what the, the thought was um, on that day when I ended up booking the ticket was like, actually, I could just go there and then see what's there. Um, so I did, and I'm very lucky to have an Irish passport, um, thanks to my father, who is yeah. Irish himself. So um, that grants me privileges that not a lot of Kiwis would have in the UK, in the European Union. So um, I feel very lucky, and I thought, you know what, I am lucky enough to have this passport. I'm, I must make the most of it. Dual citizenship um, is a wonderful thing. <laughs> I'm, a dual, I'm a dual citizen is. also amazing yeah so um i just felt the pull to to just go um and it's one of those things where even when you do plan how often do things actually go to plan so the plan was a one-way flight um and to arrive and figure it out when i got here and that's kind of what i've been doing um and so i i do have a few connections here um i have a lot more musical connections in manchester 
which is why I'm considering potentially going there or at least visiting a number of times in the next couple of months to check it out um, and see what's there. But I've also been in touch with a few of the Irish dance shows that are based on this side of the world and um, a number of them are not currently looking for positions to be filled but have said that they would keep me in their books. So um, interested to see what comes from those, if anything, but really just putting out my feelers. Um, uh, Going to be checking out some traditional Irish jam sessions while I'm here, open mics. Um, but at the moment, I'm just trying to find a home. <laughs> so Got it. Now, how far is Manchester from London? Oh, I don't know, a couple hours flight? Okay. No, not even. No, 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 not even. It wouldn't even be it. It would be about an hour, I'd say. You can get to Ireland in an hour and a half. You can get to Manchester in about an hour, I'd say. Okay. Um, I think there is a train. That's oh, a few hours. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah trains are beautiful. Big public transport here. Yeah. Much better <laughs> than well in Canada or the United States, I can tell you. Or in New Zealand. <laughs> oh goodness me. Yeah. So I had a daughter uh, spend uh, a few years in New Zealand, down in Queenstown. Um, oh, stunning! And yep. so, uh, yeah, she was. Uh, she got to know a lot of people there. Uh, some people that were were uh, important people in the making of, um, you know, the Hobbit and that whole Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. thing. Uh, she got to know and and stuff. She did a commercial for an ice cream company. Um, cool. I forget the name of it, or I'd tell you because you'd what? be right. In the, you may have even seen her on the commercial. Amazing. And, uh, yeah. So, hey, and she did a music video with a country artist in Queenstown. Yeah, a lot Amazing. of fun. A lot of, she has yeah. fond memories of New Zealand. And mm, I don't good. think would so hesitate to move there if there were, you know, serious opportunities. So she liked it. Mm. Anyway, uh, tell you what, let's get to your the first song. I want to hear the story behind it. It's a song you did with David Shannon. It's called Hiccups. Tell us about that. Yes. Oh, um, well, the tune itself and the story behind the name, um, it's the full name of that tune is Codeine Hiccups. Um, and it came about after a, a not so fun um, period that I spent in hospital with a kidney infection um, at the beginning of 2017. Yeah. Um don't worry, there's a happy ending because I'm still here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was on all sorts of drugs, painkillers and all that while I was in the hospital. And when they gave me coding, um, I had a very intense bout of hiccups. And um, so I wrote the tune, Hiccups, or Coding Hiccups. And in it, there are kind of bits of syncopation and um, musically, I somewhat outline Hiccups. You heard it first um, here, folks. A drug-fueled <laughs> song. Not exactly like the psychedelics of the late '60s. It's a, a wonderful song. Uh, anyway, continue on. You. So you had the um, hiccups. Yes. Yeah, so I had the hiccups, and it was I. I wrote that tune the day that I got out of hospital because um, I had been away from my fiddle for a couple of days and unable to do much aside from lie in a bed feeling sorry for myself well I don't even know that I did feel sorry for myself because I was quite drugged up but um yes the day that I got back I spent some time with my instrument and hiccups was born and um I'd been playing it with my own band 
for a couple of years. And then when David and I started playing together, um, we came up with an arrangement of it and utilized his amazing looping skills um, to, to build the track that is now on Spotify. Well, it, it's a fun song. And uh, just you. as a sidebar here, do you consider yourself a fiddle player or a violin player? Or how do you tell people I about say your fiddle. instrument? I say fiddle. Um, people often ask what the difference is. And there isn't really a difference as far as the instrument itself goes. Um, though I believe there may be um, historically there may have been a difference between a violin and a fiddle. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not the right person to ask. But um, nowadays I get somewhat sarcastic uh, when re- responding to that. And I say, you know, the whether it's a violin or a fiddle is dependent on your proximity to alcohol. Uh, the closer you are to alcohol, the more likely it is to be a fiddle. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's good. i got to remember that. <laughs> and, hey, if yeah. you're going to be in Ireland um... – uh, you know, you'll have a proximity to alcohol. Uh, Absolutely. Definitely. Actually in, in London too, right? Um, Most so. definitely. So, uh, tell you what, let's get to this. It's called Hiccups. Here we go.
That's amazing. I love that music. That's, you know, uh, the fiddle, especially the way you play it, is something I've always wanted to do. And short of that, always have somebody that I knew that could add that to some of my music because some of my music would benefit from that sort that sort of sound. Um, just a wonderful song, wonderful song, Hiccups. Uh, not exactly a drug-fueled rage, is it? It's a no, very fun not, song. Not really. Very fun song. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. Now, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, wonderful song, but let's let's move on to some other stuff now. So, let's mm-hmm. notch back, say, about five, six, seven years. What was going on in your life back then that led up to the events of, say, the last year or so? Mm. Well, seven years ago, hmm. I was still in high school. Okay, yeah. Um. That didn't last long because I, even while in high school, my dad has been bringing me to traditional Irish jam sessions and folk clubs and um, music festivals, folk festivals since I was three months old. Um, And since I was about 11, I've been jamming in in pubs, (laughs) like going to jam sessions and sitting amongst musicians and, and playing. Um, and it, it just reinforces how, uh, in order to do something, you just have to do it in order to learn to do something. You just have to do it. Like there's only so much you can do in a preparation phase. Um, and so how I learned to jam Irish music was by jamming Irish music. Um, and the same goes for playing gigs. How I learned to play gigs was by playing gigs. Um, I was very fortunate in the sense that my teacher who taught me from age 10, um, was open to me coming along to his gigs and jumping up on stage with him. And he, he mentored me. He showed me the ropes of playing on stage and, um, and, and taught me how to accompany singers and, and um, play solos and improvise and all of that. Wow. Um, so I'd been playing pub gigs since I was about 13, 14. Um, and by the time I was 16, 17, I was really bored in school and it wasn't really offering me much um, as far as thinking about my future because I felt like I was already doing what I wanted to do. Um, and so it took a little bit of convincing, but my parents eventually were okay with the idea of me dropping out. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, and all I was doing in that period, immediately after dropping out, I was one term into my second to last year of high school. Um, and I, all I was doing was playing gigs and going to the gym. And my <laughs> mom, she, she would very much like for me to have some kind of officially recognized qualification. Um, and so she was saying, you know, you've been really enjoying going to the gym. Um, would you look into potentially becoming a gym instructor or a personal trainer? And she actually put me onto a, a course. Um, and so I became a qualified personal trainer within a year of dropping out of high school. And so that's kind of what I was doing, playing gigs, going to the gym. Playing um, gigs, gym, and personal training. Well, I didn't. I never actually got a job as a personal trainer, oh, okay. but I went and I did the course. Okay. Well, it's um, good to have that under your belt, right? 
Absolutely. And it, it has come in handy in the last few years. But um, as far as music goes, I, at the end of that year, my good friend, Oscar West, um, who is now a Melbourne-based musician, he is one of the most enthusiastic um, trad Irish musicians I have ever met. He loves the history of traditional Irish music and he keeps it alive through his his multi-instrumentalism. Um, so he runs one of the uh, most well-known jams in Melbourne at The Last Jar. Um, and so he was working for a theatre company called The Pop-Up Globe, which is a replica Shakespeare theatre, like a real, a real-sized, real-life-sized replica of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre. Um, and so it was a pop-up version that popped up in Auckland City first in 2016, I think it was. Um, and I went and watched one of their shows and, and watched him in the show. And I thought, oh man, that's really cool. Cause he's also very enthusiastic about Shakespeare. Um, and they were, go they were due to be doing another season. And so he, um, actually passed the musical director on to me and he, he came and watched one of my gigs at Father Ted's in Auckland city and talked to me afterwards and said, Hey, if you're interested, I would really love to have you as one of our musicians on stage for an upcoming season with the pop-up club. So I spent um, six months in 2017 as the onstage musician for the Queen's Company of Pop-Up Globe. The two productions that we did were Much Ado About Nothing and Othello. And that was so much fun. <laughs> um, and the high school that I had just dropped out of actually came to one of the school matinees of the show. Oh, fun. Which was quite fun. <laughs> Get a little street yeah. cred with the the old gang with that one. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely quite interesting. Like there were a few people that had been in my tutor group in the high school that I actually spotted in the crowd um, during the show. So yeah, that was my first theater uh, gig, um, and it was just two two on stage musicians, myself and a drummer, um, and then of course all of the musical talent from the cast. So some of them played one of them played cello some of them learned how to play a couple of hand drums and everyone could sing um and it was so much fun and so we did that season in auckland and then we went to melbourne and we did six months in melbourne and that was late 2017 to early 2018 um that was so much fun and that built more connections and so it was actually oscar the same amazing talented musician wonderful human that put me onto celtic illusion because he toured with them um in 2018 and then when they were going to go and do a new zealand tour they asked him for recommendations for new zealand based fiddle players and so he recommended me so wow. he has gotten me um both of my theater gigs yeah uh, which i am insanely thankful to him for well it you know in the music industry it is still true it's sometimes it's who you know absolutely right? yeah yeah i mean talent there's you know i had a, a chance to spend some time in arkansas in the united states for a, a job my day job is a programmer computer programmer and i had to mm -hmm. be down there uh, in uh, the little rock area and so I was trying to find a church because I go to church and stuff. And the thing that struck me is every church I went to had 
a church like worship band that mm-hmm. could have played in any arena. These people were amazing. Mm-hmm. Under every rock, there is an amazing musician, but they're not well known, right? Mm-hmm. It's who you know sometimes. That's what get you, gets you to the next level. And it sounds like you have some wonderful connections. I definitely do. And I'm so thankful to to have been in a position, even just growing up, having my dad bringing me to jam sessions and all of that was the biggest pro- progress, progressive stepping yeah. stone. Does your dad play <laughs> there were anything? multiple steps. He plays the baron, the Irish drum. The baron, okay. Um, baron. Baron. Is that that baron. Th- is that a sort of circular thing they hold it's, it? In... Yep, yeah, circular, kind of flat, and they whack it sideways with a stick. Whack it sideways. Whack that drum yeah. sideways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just the other day, uh, my wife and I were watching a video because we are planning on going to Ireland soon, and mm-hmm. I saw that, and they said, hey, this is the traditional baron, and the guy's whacking yeah. it, you know, sideways. So, uh hey. Wonderful tie-in, huh? Full circle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, so he plays he plays the, the baron. The baron. That's how he says it. Uh, mm-hmm. So tell us, um, when did you meet David Shannon, and how did that uh, relationship sort of play out for you? Um, David and I met playing in the same lineup at a folk club night at a venue called The Bunker in Auckland, which is over on the North shore. So the history of that place is it was an old war bunker. Um, and there's two hills in Devonport. There's Mount Victoria, which is where the bunker is. And then there's another one that has all of the gun turrets and the underground tunnels and all of that. So that's beautiful history behind it. Well, uh, beautiful. (laughs) It's beautiful now. Yeah. Um, but, Yes, so the bunker is this beautiful little, um, quite intimate venue. Um, And so there was a a folk club night, and the way that they run is that it was a a Sunday evening, and they would get four artists, um, and they would play half-hour sets each with a little interval for um, tea and cookies, um, which, yeah, really cute. Same kind of community as the Auckland Folk Festival that I have been to every year of my life except for two. and so I was playing with a musician called Karen Jones. Um, she's a singer, harpist, and um, we were playing as a duo and David was playing solo. And I remember watching him and his incredible guitar skills and listening to his voice and just thinking, wow, this guy's incredible. I felt so privileged to be playing in the same lineup. And this was in 2014. So I was about 16 at the time. Um, and I was just, you know, playing amongst these, like these old folkies and these people that I was like, wow, these are really established, amazing musicians. And um, David and I had a chat afterwards and it was just like, hey, like I really respect and admire what you're doing. It's so cool. Um, And then I didn't see him or hear from him or anything for a number of years. And then uh, a couple of years later, I was playing a gig at Father Ted's um, and he came in um, just it was part of his night out, I suppose. And I was playing and he came over and said, Hey, do you remember me? And I went, yes, of course. And then again, another couple of years went past and um, he added me on Facebook. And so there was a, a layer of connection um, that wasn't just a coincidental face-to-face meeting. So you've known um, him for what, about six, seven, eight years? 
something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until the end of 2016 that he reached out and said, Hey, do you want to play a gig with me? Um, and the gig was a wedding. Um, and so we met up, we had one practice, um, and, and then we went and played the gig and it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, we got some incredible feedback from the people, um, both the bride and groom and a lot of their guests were so pleased with the, the, the quality, um, of the music. And we just really enjoyed the vibe. It's, it's really nice when you meet someone that musically you click and then personality wise you click as well. And it just works. Um, so from that, um, we played that gig and then I think we stayed in contact, but we didn't kind of go on to then play more gigs together. Um, and then it was the beginning of 2019, I think it was that he reached out and asked if we could record, um, Gypsy Girl together which is one of his singles on Spotify. Um, and so I said, yes. And from there, we kind of just started playing more gigs together. And then we went over to Sydney and played the Illawarra Folk Festival together at the beginning of 2020 and um, came back and the whole world went into lockdown. And during that lockdown, we officially rebranded as, as a duo, as David and Shimna and went on to do a tour of New Zealand together last year and uh, recorded a live album um, at the beginning of that tour as well. And what's that and, album um, called? David and Shimna Live at Parachute. Okay. Yeah. So that's um, a lot of fun. It's a number of his originals and then some of our arrangements of our favorite cover songs. And... Um, not hiccups, but one of my other songs was added as a bonus um, to the album earlier this year. And yeah, no, just overall, we've had a really fun uh, wow. dynamic and, and there are not many people that could spend 30 days straight around me. And I think he'd probably say the same for him, but somehow it just, it just worked. And we had a lot of fun traveling and exploring and playing music. And um, yeah, I'm very, very grateful for David. We still, talk very frequently and um i know that if i ever have questions in relation to music or or just general life questions sure. like yeah. he is definitely he's a wonderful person go yeah. and talk to we yeah. just uh talked to them uh probably a month ago mm. uh, the update is the update is on localopenmic.com get it today the update with david shannon <laughs> amazing <laughs> uh, self-plug there um, mm -hmm. so let's get to another song. Um, the one mm -hmm. I'm thinking of right now that I'd like to hear the story behind is called What Shall We Have That Killed the Deer? Is that it? Yes. Oh, that's a fun one. Tell us about that. <laughs> it's not very long. So, no. Really, it's quite amazing, the vocals and everything going on there and stuff. So why don't you tell us the backstory to that? Um, so at the end of 2020, after things kind of opened up again in New Zealand, I was offered the opportunity to um, take on a, a triple contract, a three-role contract. Um, so the three roles were composer, musical director, and live musician. 
for a Shakespeare production that was held in a garden in Christchurch. Um, and I said yes, and this was a connection through the pop-up globe as well. Um, and so I drove down to Christchurch. It was my first time driving for that long. So there was eight hours on the first day, then a four-hour ferry and a six-hour drive on the other end wow, the next day. that is a long drive. Um, yes. Uh, and I... Um, before and after the drive had been working on composing pieces for the show. And so it was uh, collaborative in the sense that the director told me what his vision was. And I took um, poems written by Shakespeare and put music to them um, or put them to music. <laughs> and so for this song, um, the director wanted like the honoring of, of a deer that had been killed. Um, which in the show it was, you know, part of part of the hunt, um, and so I thought about what um, what I would want incorporated in, and obviously talked to the director. But he was very much like, "These are kind of my requests, but open to you having creative freedom and making offers." So I knew that I wanted like a cascading vocal thing at some point in it I just didn't know how it would happen um, initially and I spent a number of days just recording myself on GarageBand adding various layers trying various harmonies um, and it wasn't until I was in the room with the cast that I actually settled on how I wanted it to sound based off of what was right in front of me um, because I knew I could hear what they had to offer and so I added in their offers to what I had already created and um yeah in the end it was uh, i brought it back to being rather simple as far as the cascading went um but when it's run um smoothly you know when when all the pieces come together it sounds incredible so in this track i am only playing the drum on the violin and the cast and the drummer um are carrying it vocally uh, but it was a very, very fun song to create, um, starting by myself and then incorporating all the cast's offers. And yeah. Wow. Okay. Amazing story. Let's get to that. Um, it It is a long name. I always have to look at it again. It is, What Shall We Have That Killed the Deer?
that was fun. And a, and a lot more class than sometimes we have on, on local open mic. That that uh, richness, you can really tell there's a uh, what uh, there's a musical style there that you uh, were using with uh, the harmonies and stuff. It's it's not Gregorian chant because it's not chant, of course, but it's that, mm. that those intricate harmonies that sometimes you hear in in uh, that and uh, that droning. Was that you playing? Yes, that was my playing. That was just, uh, yeah, great, great. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, fun. And th- you know, when I was going over the songs you sent, that was quite unexpected. As mm. will be the last song when we get to it, of course. But this is—I can't uh, even remember what it was that I sent anymore. <laughs> well, we'll surprise you then. Amazing! Can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that brought back some fond memories, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. listening to that and. And and it's a resume builder too because if you can do that kind of stuff, there was a gal that we uh, interviewed, um, uh, Nico Padden is her name, and she did something very similar. Wrote a song that was sort of uh, in honor of her grandmother, and mm-hmm. got some people together in a a big church, so there was lots of natural reverb and everything, and they Beautiful. did a vocal thing, and somebody heard it passed it on to a high school choir director they wanted to do it so she got all the music together and they did it and it was so good that he mentioned it to a few of his other uh, choir director fans in the high school world and it kind of went viral all over North Mm. America you know Canada the US and um, made its way into Europe too for for it so and it was you know who knows where this song could go because yeah. of this. It's uh, good, good, good talent to be able to put that together. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. So let's let's go back to your beginnings. Um, you know, tell us about family and what got you interested in music and uh, do you have any siblings, things like that, things that are newsy that people might want to know? Yeah, um, well, I grew up, in, in a household with my dad and mum both being very enthusiastic about music. Um, my dad slightly more so than my mother. Um, but she was always singing around the house. She's got a beautiful voice and it kind of encouraged me to to find my own and, and I just enjoyed it. Um, but yes, so my father has been taking me to the Auckland Folk Festival since uh, I was three months old. Um, that was the first Auckland Folk Festival that I attended. And so I was always from a very young age, witnessing musicians um, playing live on stage. And there's a different feeling that comes along with witnessing musicians performing live versus listening to them on the radio or, um, you know, on, on Spotify or whatever source it is that you listen to music through, which for us was um, CDs and records for a while. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I have two siblings. I've got an older sister who is just under three years older than me. And she she enjoys music as well, but she's not quite as much of a uh, performer show off um, as I am. Um, since I was very young, like I would always find some kind of elevated surface and stand on it and sing my heart out and dance. Um, and she would often join me, uh, but I suppose she she grew out of it and I didn't. Um, and yeah, my dad was very tuned into how tuned into music I was 
Um, and he said that he he remembers there was um he would play Cat Stevens to me quite frequently uh, before going to bed, and I would consistently cry when I heard Wild World and Father and Son, and he saw that in me and um just knew that there was a connection that had to be nurtured, and so he was very very encouraging um, of me when it came to going to jam sessions, folk clubs, seeing live music, being around live music, and then eventually picking up an instrument um, and learning to play. So my first instrument was actually piano. Um, my mother was taking piano lessons when I was about four years old, and she would bring me with her. She would actually come into school and take me out of kindergarten, and I would have my packed lunch with me, and I would sit behind her and the teacher as they were sitting at the piano, and I would sit and eat my lunch and maybe color in a book, but what we learned later on was that I was always paying attention to the content of the lesson because a few months later, I sat down at the piano and played everything that my mother had learned in the last couple of months. <laughs> and so she very quickly gave up her lessons and allowed me to take over. And I became quite skilled on the piano um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and in age seven, I gained an interest in the violin and found this lovely classical teacher and um, learned how to play the violin. Yeah. Do you still play piano uh, a lot? Not so much. Um, I I feel a little bit gutted that I didn't maintain both. Um, But these days I, when I can uh, and have access to a piano, I absolutely do play. Um, I do have my own keyboard. It's a full sized, fully weighted Korg electronic keyboard yeah. uh, in Korg New Zealand. Great, I am, great products, yeah. They do indeed, uh, but I'm no longer uh, in possession of that. Um, I did give it to my partner's grandparents to look after, and his grandfather actually plays, or used to play, and has been enjoying reconnecting with um, that passion. So it's uh, it's in good hands. So did your um, partner come with you to the UK? Yeah, so okay. he he moved in, in April. Ah, um, So I, I was still touring. An advanced yeah, party. he he came and did the scouting. <laughs> okay. No, it's that's a funny one because we, I was going to go anyway, and um, he kind of took a look at his life and and um, I may have to get permission from him to share this to to have this part kept in, but um, he he took a look at his life and and um, basically decided like I can't wait to to do the things that I want to do pretty much exactly what I was doing, just realizing that there is never going to be a right time to go and do the things that you want. And he'd never traveled further than Sydney Mm. um, from New Zealand up until April this year. And now he's been all over Europe and is now living in London and um, yeah, really going for what he actually wants to do rather than um, restricting his um, views of what's available to him to what he believes other people think he should be doing, Um, which is beautiful to see. Yeah, yeah. I, I the moment I've, you start traveling, it changes your view of the world. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I've I've always been a bit of a traveler. You know, um, it uh, it gets you out of the echo chamber of whatever oh, your local yes <laughs> vibe is, right? Um, you know, and it's why some people stay in the same place their whole life because that echo chamber suits them. Right. It's familiar. But yeah. once you get out of that, for me anyway, uh, I didn't start traveling a lot till uh, I met my wife, who is Canadian. I was originally from the States and mm-hmm. uh, Canadians travel. 
They just do. In the winter, nobody wants to be in Canada. <laughs> they want to be elsewhere. Anyway, so we started traveling, and so we have been literally all over the world in the last 15 years, from China to uh, Peru, hiking through the Andes, um, Europe, um, the U.S., of course, and you. Canada all over. Uh, mm. So, yeah, we've been, we've been everywhere, man. <laughs> so, Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I... Okay, Sorry. so let's get back to your, you know, your younger years. I know we got a little <laughs> yes. sidebar there going. Um, yeah. So you were young. It was seven or eight. You were doing the piano. Then you got the interest in the violin around then, and that took off. Yeah. Well, I remember seeing a fiddle player up on stage at the Auckland Folk Festival, and I was watching him, and he was just – I couldn't pinpoint it at the time – but thinking back on it now, it was just the passion and the pure connection with what he was doing in that moment. And it wasn't like, yes, he was showing off, but it was, he was showing off for himself and it was really cool. And he was so into it. And it just made me feel so like inspired. Like this, this is such a cool thing to be witnessing. Like I want to be doing that. Um, and I'm not entirely sure if that was before or after I had started learning how to play the violin, but turns out he was a, a fiddle player that my dad had kind of crossed paths with and, and shared the stage with a number of times um, throughout his um, time playing music in, the, in, in New Zealand. And we went along to a jam session at the Bog in Parnell which um, that was a jam session that nurtured me to be the, the musician that I am today for sure. And I um, learned to play uh, a piece that I really enjoyed that I'd found off a CD from a band that we'd seen live at the Auckland Folk Festival. So we would see bands and then my dad would take me over to the merch table and I'd get to choose a CD. Um, and I think more often than not, he actually chose what the CD was, but I enjoyed it regardless. Um, and so I'd learned by ear a couple of pieces from this one CD and I can't remember what it is right now, but um, I played it at the jam session and that guy, that fiddle player, he was there. He was at the jam session. He was jamming along with everyone else. His name is John Ohlone. He's an incredible traditional Irish fiddle legend in New Zealand. Um, and he came up to me and dad afterwards and offered to teach me. Um, and so that was like, I was so dumbfounded because he was basically an idol of mine and he'd just come up to me and offered to teach me how to play. And so of course, yes, yes, yes so, go ahead. Yes, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so my fiddle lessons, um, they were every Saturday and I think they cost $25 and a coffee. I would make a coffee I'd make a coffee at the machine at home. And bring that nice and hand touch. that to him. Um, and uh, he taught me for three years and mentored me for another two. And I owe so much of my playing style and just everything to, to his teachings. Um, and it was never, there was never a dull moment or never a moment where I didn't want to do what he was offering in the lesson or that I felt like it was pointless. It was all so much fun. Um, and I, I loved it. Um, and 
the way that he taught me, he didn't teach me all of your, like, these are the top 40 fiddle tunes that you need to know. Like, he taught me pieces that would show me different um, skills, um, show me different bits of ornamentation, um, like the decorative bits that you add into the traditional Irish playing style. Um, And so everything that he taught me was functional, as well as being really fun tunes to play. So... Yeah, that was my very early um, days of playing the fiddle. And then it all really took off when I started coming along and playing the gigs with him, you know, meeting people, actually playing in a setting where people could see me and hear me, um, which, yeah, that was, that elevated it wow. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and how fun it must have been for you that a person you idolized came up to you and said, I want to teach you. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> nope. None of my idols mm. showed up at the door and said, Hey, I want to teach you how to, whatever it was. I think it's, it's funny because the way that it all happened, it was all, progressive from the moment that I was first taken to the Auckland Folk Festival. Like I'd never really idolized anyone that wasn't someone I'd seen live, which is a a bizarre concept, but that's just the way that I was exposed to music growing up. I was seeing live musicians, which I realized through various conversations in the last couple of years and conversations with David that he barely got exposed to seeing people play live when he was younger. Um, And so yeah, I, I suppose I I never really saw the advantage and the privilege that I had to be going and seeing all of this live music from such a young age and having that actual physical exposure to performers and seeing people doing it for a living. Because I I never for a second in my life believed that playing music for a living would ever be hard. Wow. <laughs> well, that says something about you, right? You just sort of, in your b- brain, you got it. It just, everything fit into place. So... Mm. yeah well you're an amazing uh fiddle player um let's get on to uh the last song so that uh we don't let uh our time get away from us Mm -hmm. tell us the backstory behind bring you down oh yeah that's a that's an edgy song (laughs) i gotta tell you i didn't expect (laughs) that either you know you're full of surprises i took you on three different um three different journeys i'm hearing this song and i'm starting to you know put up the hand with the uh the devil's horns and rocking out and the whole thing right (laughs) oh so sam bartels he is a new zealand based country singer um he's traveled to nashville a number of times and has you know he 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 made footprints in that scene for sure um prior to covid i don't think that he's left new zealand since but he is one of the most hardworking musicians I have ever met. And, and what, is, what is his name? Sam Bartels. Sam Bartels. Let me write that down. This part won't be in the, the podcast. Sam. <laughs> Two L's? Bartels? Yes. Okay. And he's a country guy? Yeah, that song so didn't a, sound real country to me. That sounded... He's headed more towards rock now. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because he's got the voice for it. He, um, Everyone that hears him and that knows of Chris Cornell 
instantly makes a, a tie there saying you sound a lot like Chris Cornell, which I hear it. He absolutely does. Um, but that song, we, um, I've been playing with Sam for a couple of years now. So he met me. I was playing a gig at uh, Grand Central in Ponsonby. Um, and he came in and um, after that found me, we had a whole bunch of mutual friends on Facebook because the the pub gig scene in Auckland is quite small. So, you know, you see a musician in one pub, you're probably going to see them in a different pub later on in the week. Um, and so a lot of us run in the same circuit. And he was someone that I hadn't individually connected with yet, but he knew the guy that I was playing with on that night. So through mutual friends on Facebook, he found me, added me, and then um, asked if I would be interested in potentially collaborating. And I, of course, said yes. Um, my dad always said to say yes to, to new musical opportunities. Um, and so we ended up um, having a little jam and finding a cool sound together. Um, and I've accompanied him on various tours around New Zealand as well, um, in smaller combinations and as well as with a full band. And um, Bring You Down was one that he wrote and recorded within a very close, like a very small period of time. Because there are a lot of songs that he'd kind of had in, in a, a back catalogue and, and, and he would play them live, but he hadn't set about recording them. Um, and so we recorded it at Roundhead Studios um, last year, I believe. Yes, it was last year in uh, June. And Roundhead Studios is owned by... Tim Finn of Crowded House. Um, and we worked with Dave Rhodes, who was the producer, and put together this song. And um, Sam knew right from the get-go that he wanted a fiddle solo in it. Um, and we were like, how can we spice it up a little bit more? So he added distortion and wah to the fiddle. Um, and it took a couple of takes in the studio, but I kind of, I was in there and it was blasting in my headphones and I improvised start to finish. And we just kind of, um, anytime I did something that Sam or the producer was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. Try and incorporate that into the next take. So we would just do a few and then eventually they settled on that one. And, um, yeah, I think. I believe it is one of the first rock songs to be um, with a fiddle solo to be broadcast on a radio station. Well, I, I have to tell you, I'm listening to it. And <laughs> honestly, Scott is my witness. I was telling my wife uh, this this morning. I was listening to it and I said, you know, I didn't realize till the end of that, what sounded like guitar hot solos. It was right at the end. There was a tell that it was a, a fiddle. I said, mm. she is shredding that thing, <laughs> totally shredding that thing on this song. And, and everybody's going to love that song. <laughs> so I think we should get to it. Be prepared to have your, your mind blown. Now, do you sing on this song at all? Or is it just the... I don't. It's just Sam's vocals. And, um, and then I you just added... The, just a little uh, bit of fiddle. <laughs> a little bit of fiddle. Hardcore stuff there. Uh, now... <laughs> Well, I'll ask you a few questions afterwards, but uh, mm -hmm. this is going to blow your minds. <laughs> hey, 
that was hot. That just <laughs> hot. There I'm listening to the what I now know to be fiddle and going, man, that is a that you know, at first take I'm going, I wonder what I'm gonna hear her. I wonder <laughs> when I'm gonna hear Shannon. Why'd she send me this? Maybe she had, you know, a part in writing it. I don't know, but <laughs> And then suddenly I'm, I'm realizing, no, you're what I'm thinking is a lead guitar. You're a lead fiddleist. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of oh, an awkward so sound. <laughs> I'm sorry I said <laughs> it that way. <laughs> no, honestly, do your worst. I'm sure I've heard it all before at some point. <laughs> yeah. So uh, now, typically when you play, do you do add effects to your fiddle playing uh, at times? Not so much. No. Um you had playing to hear. <laughs> oh, well, yes. Yeah. Um, playing live with Sam, I'd never done that live with effects. Um, I know that he, he wanted to, if we were to be doing more gigs this year, which now I'm no longer in the country, um, but I know that he wanted to be able to replicate that sound live. And I do have all of the gear to be able to do it live. I've just never actually done it. Um, but I've definitely like from the comfort of my bedroom cranked through a whole bunch of different effects on the fiddle because it is such it's such a versatile instrument anyway but then you add all of the different sounds that you can add to a guitar to it oh yeah but you've got a, a rubbed string rather than a plucked string right um there's just a whole world of sound to discover there you know the beginning um, of that song was interesting because at first i thought it was going in the direction of a a Lion King African sort of thing, you know, with that <laughs> vocals, oh, you know, I, I was yeah. waiting for, uh, you know, somebody to hold a baby lion up in a, <laughs> in the video of it. But uh, then it became this other, it morphed into a completely different sort of vibe. Mm. Well, well done. That's what I say. That was uh, a great song. And um, so uh, I do have some questions. You know, I have not asked some of these questions in a very long time, but it seems appropriate with with your playing and, and stuff. Uh, we have some musicians that listen, of course, and probably might, um, and some of your fans, uh, like the answers to these are mostly music-related, of course. So let's see. Um, if there's something... Is there something you would do differently if you could go back and start over? Ooh. Hmm. That's a great question, actually. Um, play more. Play more. Okay. <laughs> I would play more. Never Absolutely. bad advice, is it, to play more? If you're going to be a musician, yes. you need to be about the business of playing more. Okay, good. Absolutely. Good. Uh, it sounds um, like you played a lot, though. So mm, playing more I uh, kind of blows my mind. Where would you get the time? Yeah, well, it's, it's funny when you look at where your time actually goes yeah. and how much um, time there actually is to, to do the things that you keep saying you don't have time for. Um, and so it was in the, in the last year, I've seen a, a lot in regards to, like, um thinking patterns and things that i used to get kind of lost in oh, yeah. um so i mean as far as like having i suppose i don't have any regrets as far as my current position versus where i started and would i go back and change anything no i wouldn't 
because I can't. But um, if I could, I suppose I would just play more. Yeah. Um, and and play more in different settings too. Oh, because okay. playing from the comfort of your bedroom is all well and good, but going to open mics, going to more jam sessions, jamming with more people at festivals, like just saying yes yeah. to more opportunities, house parties, you know, all of that, because there's never a wrong place or a wrong time to, to play when, when you have the invitation. So open mics, folk clubs, um, just being, being around music. I'd say, that would probably be one of the biggest things for me as far as the time that I spent living in Melbourne where I was, you know, I was working for a theatre company and I was living in Melbourne in the heart of the city for six months. I didn't make any musical connections in that period because there was, I put up this wall between me and my instrument where I looked at it and I saw work and I saw theatre work. And so the, the hobby and the love that I had I lost sight of it. Like I loved it and I loved playing it on stage every night. But the second that I wasn't in the theater anymore, it was like I lost sight of the, the actual passion and joy that I found just from playing and the need to, the, that feeling of wanting to go and connect with people. It kind of wasn't there. And that is actually something that I would change is I would go, if I could go back to that period of my life, I would go and meet people, meet new musicians in in a different city because I'm so well connected in Auckland. I could walk into any bar and know who's playing that night or who's behind the bar. Um, most nights of, of the week. Um, but it's not like that anywhere outside of Auckland. Um, and so, yeah, having a passion for music doesn't have to look like just playing it all the time, but being around it, um, being amongst the, the organization of events um, and, and, and hosting open mics or going to, you know, club nights, whether it's like a country music club or a folk music club or like bluegrass or any, any niche genre um, that you want to be more involved in and meet people with the same uh, passion for it. Like the easiest way to, to do it is to be around it all the time. So yes, I suppose that yeah. that's, yeah. Yeah, and as, as a sidebar, I've I've been looking up. You know, it struck me when you said um, how well connected you are in some of these places and how well traveled you are in New Zealand. Just to give uh, some of our listeners perspective on the size of population of New Zealand, it's over five million. It's not a big country, but mm-hmm. they're on par population-wise with Finland and Norway. Uh, they're about half the size of Sweden, so Sweden is, you know, 10 million. Um, and then you have, of course, Iceland that's really tiny. It's small. Mm. Um, so that should give people some perspective that uh, uh, in in that country as well as, you know, the others I've just mentioned, it's possible to get to know so many people in the music scene that you just can roll in and you just... You just know them, you know. Mm. So, okay. So let's see. We know you play fiddle and uh, you dabble with piano. Although, mm. you know, even though you don't have a, a keyboard precisely right now, uh, you do. Do you play any other instruments? I play the guitar. Guitar. And sing. Okay. Mm. Good. 
I also don't have a guitar with me, but um, they're rather easy to 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 get a hold of. Sure. Um, so once I have a place, I will look at right. getting a hold of the guitar. Right. Um, well, those yeah. three quarter size guitars are all the rage now. Uh, everybody. Yes, playing. I own one in New Zealand. <laughs> oh, what kind? Oh, oh, it's a Martin. Oh, you own the Mar the, the is it the baby Martin? Is it called? Um, um martin mini i think oh okay yeah 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 i've owned a couple of them uh three of them exactly and uh right now the one that i have and i sold the others uh that i'm playing is by a company called donner they're a chinese company mm. and um right. it looks like a, a taylor gs mini it's made right. of mahogany it, it doesn't sound exactly like it but it comes with pickups and it was cheap like borscht it was not an expensive guitar, but it plays. It 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 shoot it it punches out of its weight class, if I can use that analogy. It's it's a, it's a good yeah. guitar, and I would put it in terms of playability against any thousand dollar three quarter size guitar. It's mm -hmm. that good. Um, okay, so uh, brand names. Do you what's the brand name of your fiddle? Um. It was made by Edwin Whitmarsh um, in England in 1929. So he was an apprentice to his father, Emmanuel Whitmarsh, okay. who was a well-established luthier at that time. Whitmarsh. <laughs> okay, yes. good. There's Are there a lot of those floating around or not many? I don't believe so. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, <laughs> we talked a little bit. So when you use electronics uh what pedals would you use um the wah pedal that i own is a more mini wah so mm -hmm. the brand is m -O, o e r yeah and it's it's about <laughs> that big yeah okay um, yeah that's it's very small and it's it becomes even more compact when you fold the clips in so it it, it comes very very compact and say about yeah that big and maybe this wide this tall um and it, how would I even is it say that? And is the more pedal in Ottawa where it's just automatically giving no, you? No, it's it manual, has a, so you you step on it. It does yeah. have a pedal. So you you undo the clips and it expands, and then it's about, I'd say maybe two thirds of the size of my foot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so precision and and intention are very important when it comes to using that. Um, Yes, but aside from that wah pedal, I own the Ditto number four loop pedal. Okay. Um, which David gave to me as a Christmas present a couple of years ago. So I had uh, a, did he get you into looping? I had a loop pedal of my own, but it was a um, it was trying to be everything at once. So it had built-in delay, built-in um, reverb. Which built, brand built was in, that? Um, was a boss it sounds like or? trying to remember no it was i can't remember oh okay well that's okay yeah i switched from, i i still have looper pedals um i've had mm -hmm. a fascination form for probably 10 years or more and i now will use my looper pedal as a librarian so i I craft my songs, I put them in there so when I go play live I can just, you know, I've got I know what my my track is 
and uh, mm-hmm. rather than having somebody queue it up in a you know a yeah. booth or something i can just yes. hit it and i uh, you know i know what i i'm playing but i have moved on from using from developing stuff uh looping with it to the um uh boss now makes the ones that you use with the hand the one I've moved on to is the Boss uh, RC505 MK2. So I found that I wasn't so good with my feet, okay, mm. in setting loops and stuff. I really needed to lean on on some automatic stuff. But my precision with my hands at setting stuff was, was fine. So you just train yourself as you're playing to just stop uh, a moment early to hit the button and keep in time. It's just part of the beat, you know, to, yeah. to set your loops. And it's, it's an amazing piece of kit. So when you sing at home or live, is there a microphone you like to use in particular? Do you own um, one of I was any? doing some live streaming um, between Christmas and New Year, just gone. And for that, I use the Rode NT1. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah, super I, handy. I brought it with me, actually. It's one okay. of the few pieces of musical gear that I brought with me. Wonderful. Noisy bike. Excuse uh, me. Do you have an amplifier you use? I don't. I don't have one on me currently. That's another piece of um, gear that I will have to acquire whilst here. Sure, sure. Um, and, and when you get one, um, are you going to get one that could be run on its own on a battery? I think so. Um, while I was in New Zealand, I tried out a couple of Bose uh, speakers. Yep. Um, there's the Bose, I think it is the S1. Yeah, it's um, with the, it is the, the, the subwoofer small. and then the bass, the, the stand with yes. the high-end yep. stuff. Yep. Yes, so I think I would absolutely love yep. to acquire one of those. They are so um, easy to, to transport you know uh, being here in london i will not have a car i will not want to be carting around a giant speaker system for playing gigs i was going to ask you what software and hardware for recording you use but you did mention garage band so you're you're obviously in the uh apple world uh how yes. do you like that i mean for everything that i've needed it for it has delivered okay um yeah I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I've recorded anything overly professional. It's more just drafting things right. for the productions that I've been composing for. Um, I think if I were to go on to actually want to record and put music out there, I would want to learn the ropes of a different software, but I'm not entirely sure what that would be at this point. Uh, let's see. Uh, one last question here. Do you have much busking in your background? Um, I did go and busk at the local market a lot when I was younger. Did you? Okay. Um, I did indeed. And through that, I ended up bumping into um, this family. They're a Malaysian family and they all play tra- traditional Irish music. <laughs> and I'd known them through the scene, through the, the trad Irish music scene, but I bumped into them at the at the markets quite frequently. And um, they're actually, two, two of those brothers are members of my band. Um, oh, okay. Well, were members of my band. Well, both of them are now married, and one of them has kids now. So, and and I've also moved overseas. So, um, who knows? The reunion tour when I get back will be excellent. But um, yeah, so I have had experience busking in a very small market setting. Um, as far as like busking in a in a city square or 
anything in that regards. Absolutely not. It um, kind of terrifies me, but I also feel like it would be something so good for me to do while here. Yeah. So the trick with that, and if you um, if you follow, uh, I mean, I've interviewed a number of people that are buskers. Uh, David mm-hmm. is one, of course. Uh, he's done a lot of busking. Uh, Charlotte absolutely does. And then uh, Dublin City Today has just a whole, call, them, call it a stable of regular people he features, as well as new people that just sing. They just show up and, and busk on Grafton Street in Dublin. And mm-hmm. the real trick behind it is you you absolutely don't lose the value the opportunity to record yourself ever. You always do it because mm. you may have a magical performance that suddenly you can stick on YouTube and it blows up and suddenly there's an income and there's a following and there's, and it, you know, can launch you. And, uh, and then people start following you. They want to know where you're going to play. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, the amount of people I've actually talked with that have, that have gotten their careers going through, uh, uh, busking and uh, mm. YouTube and stuff. Uh, that brings us kind of to the end here. It has been a wonderful time talking with you. Thank you so much. Me too. I'm so glad that it worked out the way that it did. Thank you. And that concludes our interview with Shimna. She is an amazing person and performer on all fronts. We've included the links to Shimna's social media. You can see those in the show notes. And remember, get up on the stage, step up to the microphone. The world is listening.